I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. This is Play Me, Canada's national digital theatre. Each week, we take new and underproduced theatre scripts and short stories and turn them into contemporary radio dramas. I'm Laura Mullen. And I'm Chris Tolley. Welcome back to Play Me. Today we feature part one of Low or Dear Mr. Wells by playwright Rose Napoli. Episode one of three. Warning, mature language and content. For 10 years I've imagined this, and now here it is. Summer. It's Sunday morning. The air is promising parks and pools and bee stings and playing catch until the kids flop home exhausted at the end of a perfect day. You have two children now. Summertime is family time. In summer, the mornings are happily absent of school bells and lesson planning. And students, especially the students. The freedom of August. It had to be a day in summer. It's the way I've imagined it for ten years. That's a long time. A lifetime. Besides, nothing bad ever happens in the summertime. The pancakes are on the griddle. I used to think you'd be flipping burgers. Remember I said that once to you, but I think I like flipping pancakes. It works. And she's making coffee. Sarah. The exact way you like it. Strong, French-pressed, cream and sugar. You've tried to drink it black, but you just can't bear the bitter. The kids are watching some vile cartoon on the television in the front room. I can see them from where I'm standing. The younger one's pudgy. The older one has your chin. Their addiction to television embarrasses you because you wish they were readers. Are you expecting anybody, Sarah? You call back to the pancakes and you saunter to the front door. Your salt and pepper hair billowing. Who could be knocking on Sunday morning? Who? It's me, Mr. Wells. Mr. Wells? Laura, what are you doing here? I did something. Are you all right? They're here. Oh. Well, what are you going to do? I'm, um, going to sit down and wait. That's all? Yes. That's all. Alan, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, too. Do you want me to turn the light off? No, Laura, please. In the pseudo-dark, anything's possible. You should go. And I hope she'll be a fool. That's the best thing a girl can be in this world, a beautiful little fool, says Daisy Buchanan in our favorite novel. 
I think about that line often, you know. I always hear your voice narrating. I wake up every morning, every morning for the last 10 years, and I feel like I am one morning closer to understanding Daisy Buchanan. Remember that last moment in your classroom? Before it all spilled down and sloshed together and collected in an infected pool and then slid away down the drain? It was April, and there were confused patches of snow furnishing the school parking lot. Nature telling us that spring would never come again. I was hiding out in the library, waiting, my hands chained to a book for strength. I don't even remember which one. Can you believe it? My eyes were out the window, fixed on that parking lot, and my face twitched when I saw the cars roll in. And then I ran straight to you. Mr. Wells? Laura, what are you doing here? I didn't understand what was going on then. Or maybe I did. It's hard to say now. I guess that's what growing up is. Gradually descending into a sort of vague state of existence where memories are just gray matter. If you don't remember things vividly, then you won't hate yourself as much. I remember things. I guess that makes me a kid still. I looked back at my cousin, who began to ask me questions in her low, thrilling voice. It was the kind of voice that the ear follows up and down, as if each speech is an arrangement of notes that will never be played again. You were the first person that ever read to me. Her face was sad and lovely with bright things in it. Bright eyes and a bright, passionate mouth. But there was an excitement in her voice that men who had cared for her found difficult to forget. A singing compulsion, a whispered... Listen. A promise that she had... Oh, um, okay. Remember, please, Monday, we begin the independent study unit, so be sure to bring your novels with you. Have a great weekend. Um, Laura? Yes, Mr. Wells? We've missed you in class the last few days. Who did? We all did. You're part of our class. I finished all the grammar and rhetoric assignments. I can show you. No, no, that's not why I asked. I have them right here in my bag. I forgot to show you at the beginning of class. I, I just wanted to make sure everything was okay. Were you unwell? Um, no. Is everything all right, Laura? You asked me that sincerely. Teenagers never do that, ask questions, and then expect actual answers. Adolescents are disingenuous by nature because what else can you be, really, when your life consists of perpetual ignorance? Is everything all right, Laura? I mean, all right. All right is just all right. It's not wonderful or amazing or couldn't be better. It's all right. Why did you choose that word? I wondered, but was too shy to ask you in the moment. Also, I lied. Is everything all right, Laura? Yes. Good to hear. We're glad to have you back. If my memory serves me, that was the start. Our in the beginning, in the biblical sense. It was that day, after classes ended, when God said, Let there be light. Hello? Is there anyone in here? No. Who's there? Hello? Nobody. Sorry. Laura? Is that you? Sorry, Mr. Wells. How did you get in here? 
The door was unlocked. It was? The lights were off, but when I turned the handle, the door was open. School let out hours ago. I thought you'd gone home already. I was just marking in my prep room. Well, I'll go. Are you crying? I'm fine. Sorry to bother you. You're not bothering me. It's nice having someone in my classroom that appears to want to be here for a change. Tissue? Thank you. I thought nobody would be in here. I completely understand. Do you know that I come to school very early in the morning? Um, embarrassingly early. Like, the lights aren't even on in the building yet early. I bring the night janitor a coffee early. Sometimes you just need that alone time. Yeah. Want a snack? Um, I think I have an apple. Sure. Look at that. I'm giving you an apple. How's that for role reversal? Thank you. You know, Laura, if you're struggling with anything, school-related or life-related, uh, if you need someone to talk to, there's a lot of support here. We've got a pretty great guidance department. I'd be happy to set you up with Mrs. Singh for an appointment. She's pretty awesome. No. Well, if you change your mind, it would be discreet. And sometimes having an objective listener is really helpful. Do you want me to go now? Oh, I wasn't trying to say you have to go. But are you, like, forbidden to exit the premises now that you found me here? I will have to lock the room before I leave for the night. You know, actually, lock up this time. I'll go. In a minute. Is there anything you want to talk about? Something in class, maybe? Why do you think I want to talk so bad? Well, you're upset and you're hanging out in my classroom. I was borrowing one of your books. Oh. You have a better selection than the library does. Not a challenging feat, I'm afraid. All the books in the library have a penis drawn somewhere on them. Updating the library isn't at the top of the administration's priority list, unfortunately. You don't even want to know what the library's copy of Moby Dick looks like. Hmm. No, I don't. So, which one of mine did you take? Aha. Uh -huh. Just about my absolute favorite. Really? Classic. May I? The Great Gatsby, Chapter 1. In my younger and more vulnerable years, my father gave me some advice that I've been turning over in my mind ever since. Whenever you feel like criticizing anyone, he told me, just remember that all the people in this world haven't had the advantages that you've had. Your voice was hushed like you were telling me a secret. You have good taste in books, Laura. I'll tell you what. I don't normally lend my books out, but I'll let you take this one home. As long as you return it in pristine condition and you don't tell any of the other students. I don't want to lose my whole collection. Deal? Deal. You feeling better? Yes, sir. Great. Now get out of my classroom, kiddo, before you miss the late bus. Do you still have that copy of Gatsby? It was well-loved after I was done with it. I would scribble notes in the margins, underline my favorite passages. I always wondered if that bothered you. I remember you used to keep your books so neat. You never liked breaking the spine. Laura? Laura? Yes? Sorry. Yes? It's your turn. Um, for what? To share your writing with the class. You're up. Oh. We're just sharing our imperfect little works, that's all. No thanks, Mr. Wells. 
I understand your hesitation. I am notorious for plagiarizing my students' work. I promise I will not pass off your words as my own. I will not quit my day job, take your journal entry, publish it immediately, and live off the royalties. Ask Mr. Messina over there, did I steal your essay on the Rocket Richard from last week? I don't want to read. Okay. Another time. When you're ready, you know where we are. We'd love to be your audience. Aha! Saved by the bell. Okay. Um, tomorrow, we continue. Do not forget your writing at home. No excuses. Have a great night, everyone. I could read you my writing now, Mr. Wells. Now? If you want. Won't you be late for next period? I have lunch. Won't you want to eat lunch? You said if I change my mind, I know where to find you. Of course. Yes, I'd love to hear your writing. I'm all ears, kiddo. The girl swirls her fingers against the wood's grainy exterior, and she exhales an inadvertent spit bubble. It's her equivalent to the ugly, mournful cry of an aged Italian woman who's just lost her son. But it's all she's capable of releasing. An accidental gurgle of saliva in the place of any real feeling. A body of significance is inside this wooden box, and all she can muster is a repressed balloon of emotion that wins the war and pushes itself through her lips against her wishes. How long does a body take to decompose? Which parts go first and which parts will litter the bottom of the dusty box for centuries, she wonders. The teeth. She imagines a dusty, dark wooden box ten years from now with only a sad set of teeth in it. She flattens the palm of her tiny hand on the wood and closes her eyes intently. She sends her soul into the box to lie alongside the body of significance. She doesn't feel like living on the outside anymore. She'd rather rot with the teeth. You wrote that? Yes. When? Just now. In class. You said take 20 minutes to write a journal entry. That's extraordinary. Why didn't you want to share this work with the class today? I didn't feel like it. Wow. If I could write like that, Laura, I'd want the world to know it. I just didn't want to. This is amazing work. You don't have to do that, Mr. Wells. Do what? I don't need encouragement because I refuse sharing time. I wouldn't say something like that unless I meant it. I'm not a budding mind that you need to nurture or whatever. I'm telling you that your work is extraordinary because it is. Not because I have to. Well, thank you, but I don't need the compliment. I can deal without it. Shit, you know, high school can be a gruesome place. You couldn't pay me to go back. You work in a high school. You are literally paid to go back. These walls can be vicious and unforgiving and scarring for many people, and I am really sorry for that. You swore. I'm sorry, but I don't like when my students are mistreated. What do you mean? It's easy to feel ashamed sharing your work if you're perhaps a little afraid of being criticized. I'm not. But you shouldn't be embarrassed. I just don't like public speaking. I think I understand what's going on here. I'm not bullied, if that's what you're trying to say. Okay, then. You're shy. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not shy. I just don't want to. But speaking openly is an important skill to have. I am open, just not publicly. I can help you with that. I don't need help. We should start a club for creative writing. I've always wanted to. This way you can have more opportunities to write and to share if you want to, eventually. Would you like that? Um, I don't think so.
it would be good for the other students, too. You could support each other. But I don't want to share. You wouldn't have to. I would only want to write. That's what the club would be, a writing club. Just writing? Uh, sharing can come later. No sharing. Fine, no sharing, just writing. How does that sound? Well, maybe. Would it be after school? Or during lunch hour. Lunch hour is social hour. You want people to join this club, right? <laughs> right. We should do it after school then. Okay, um, Tuesdays? I'm not in any other clubs. Tuesday's fine. Okay, Tuesdays. I'll put an announcement in. When we get a group together, we'll start working. You'll be reading to the masses soon enough, kiddo. No sharing. See you Tuesday. Maybe. Mr. Wells? Laura, welcome. You're sitting in the dark. Oh, um, I guess I am. Why are you sitting in the dark? I sort of barreled into the room after class and didn't bother to flick the switch. It's oddly calming, though, isn't it? No one signed up on the sheet on your door. Yeah, I mentioned in the announcement no sign-up necessary. School got out 20 minutes ago, Mr. Wells. Uh, that's right. You said in the announcement right after the bell. People might be running late. You never know. You came late. Purposefully. I'll just wait a few more minutes, just in case we have any stragglers. I don't know. We'll just have to start next week. We could still start today. We don't have anyone here. I'm here. Uh, of course you are. I didn't mean it that way. People are probably just ashamed to say they like writing. Are you ashamed? I came, didn't I? Maybe we should have gone with lunchtime instead. Being in the creative writing club, no matter what time it happens, doesn't exactly buy you a popularity pass, Mr. Wells. I suppose it doesn't. Now, if you were the coach of a sport, any sport, really, except badminton, you'd be turning kids away. And they'd still want to volunteer to be team manager or water carrier or something. I'm not much of an athlete, I'm afraid. Are you upset? I didn't expect a throng, but I thought there'd be a few at least. Well, you did just put the announcement in. Maybe more will join as the weeks go on. It's a good attitude, Laura. But you should probably explore an alternate marketing strategy for next week. I didn't realize I'd have to sell this at all. You're dealing with pimply, insecure adolescents who are coming to terms with themselves as sexual beings. You have to sell everything. I just thought there'd be more students who'd be interested in writing. I'm an anomaly. Marketing for a writing club? Bribery's a good tool. Kids go crazy for dress-down days. A dress-down day to anyone who joins. Mm, wait, on second thought, that would be a real scarlet letter, wouldn't it? Maybe we can offer members a sort of witness protection program. Their identities will never be revealed to the student body. That could work. They could write privately. No pressure. We could convene exclusively in pseudo-darkness. Your favorite. Then we would preserve our social statuses and still be in the writing club. In the pseudo-dark, all things are possible. It is oddly calming. We are a plentiful army accoutred with our finely sharpened pencil. And our fancy British satchels that smell of aged leather and scotch and hold our well-worn notebooks. And our lusty handling of language and our burning questions for the world at large. The Army of Darkness. That should be our name. I was only joking. That's a bit much. No, it's a great name. We'll be turning away the masses. I think... This is not the marketing strategy you're after. It's a bit emo. Emo? People still say that? I used to say that when I was in high school. Emo. Emotionally hardcore. 
What's that? It's the Urban Dictionary app. Looks like it's still relevant. Emotionally hardcore? Army of Darkness? It's too much. It's cool. This is meant in the kindest way possible, but do you really see yourself as an authority on cool, Mr. Wells? You're an English teacher. English is cool. (laughs) If this were the 16th century, I'd be a Casanova. If this were the 16th century, I'd be pregnant, legitimately, with my third child, and probably illiterate. Fair enough. Besides, I think you need more than two people to make up an army anyway. Well, until the crowds beat down the door, which I am certain will happen... We will be a mighty army of two. What do we do now? We write. Well, you write. It's weird if I'm the only one. Think of all the tutoring you'll be getting. You'll be miles ahead of your classmates. That'll be useful socially. You have to keep growing that talent you have, Missy. The only way to do that is to practice. Can we both practice? Both? You and I. But you're the writer. You could also be a writer. That's not the deal. You've never written anything in your life? I find that difficult to believe. I'm a teacher. So? So, I see the potential in the student, i.e. you, and then I invest in building the talent. That's my job. How can you see the potential without having some knowledge of practice yourself? I can be knowledgeable without practicing. Only moderately. You can write on your own. You must have written before. How do you know? In university or something, for sure. University was ages ago. You still have the little book stashed away somewhere in your home with all of your insignificant little work. Oh, now... Come on, you love literature. How could you not have attempted the torture of writing at some point in your life? The very least to legitimize yourself. Everyone writes in university. I knew it. It was a brief period of my life. You wrote poetry, didn't you? I wrote more than just poetry. Let me guess. You called yourself a feminist, and you were vegan during your final year of school. And the highlight of your post-secondary time was your involvement with the university players. You played Puck. I wrote short stories as well, and Puck is the best character in that play. Your prose was soupy and unrequited and even a little irreverent if you'd been drinking or taking prescription pills or something. We used to drink Boilermakers outside the theater after shows, like Bukowski did. Boilermakers? Hmm. Shot a whiskey with a pint. No, you didn't. You had mojitos like Hemingway did. Oh, do you imagine me as some flamingly dweeby university student with poor acting skills and a preference for exceedingly sugary drinks? No. That's the picture you paint, Miss Laura. I'm just teasing you. Is that what you're doing? Yes. I tease you so your masculinity will be challenged and you'll puff up your chest and agree to write with me. Oh, you are insufferable, kiddo. It's only fair until there are others. Fine. If it'll help you. Your first assignment... Excuse me? Our first assignment is to pick a living subject in the room. We are the only living subjects in the room. You're quick. Pick a living subject in the room, not yourself, and write a succinct observation of them. It doesn't have to be an accurate one. It doesn't have to be accurate? As in it could be a complete lie. How succinct? You can't exceed 140 characters. We're keeping with the times. One-line observations that don't have to be based in any reality. This way we can practice the art of brevity. Okay. Don't be fooled by her sweetness. She's a precocious young thing. How's that for brevity? You were so good at those. Our no-name Twitter-inspired writing exercise in brevity and observation. 
Eventually, we'd write them on scrap pieces of paper and hide them around the classroom. You remember? It went on for months. Our little hilarious lies. When asked if she's Betty or Veronica, her answer is always Archie. His two favorite pastimes are five-pin bowling and monster ballad karaoke. Her favorite word is odontoid, but she refuses to learn the actual definition of it. He often dreams he is playing an intense rugby match against his mother, and she's winning. Her middle name is Tyrannosaurus, but she tells no one. His middle name is Beef Burger, and he tells everyone. She makes a loose fist that she taps the side of her thigh with when she's nervous. He clears his throat to buy himself time if he doesn't know the answer to a student's question. Her left eye has a dark freckle. His face blushes pink when it's quiet for too long. She doesn't smile often, but when she does, you remember. His body wakes him up before his alarm clock does. His coffee beans are ground the night before so as not to disturb any of the sleepers in his neatly cluttered condo with vicious papery walls. He puts the kettle on, pre-filled, and waits patiently for the bubbling water as he looks out the window of the tenth story, puckering over whether what he sees below could be classified as sweater weather. The kettle clicks, but he stays with the window for the briefest of moments. What would happen if he jumped? Right now. This instant, just hurled his body off the edge of the Juliet balcony. Would he be on the news? What music would they choose for his funeral? He sighs. But then he walks up to his library and everything changes. He plays the back of his books with his fingers like a concert pianist. His fingertips quiver as they anticipate their selection. His hands are somehow magically rough and gentle in the same moment. But once he's ready, he makes his decision with purpose and he cracks the book open, letting it spill onto him and ignite him in the quiet of the morning. And he's not reading a poorly punctuated essay on who truly is to blame for the tragedy of Macbeth, not a litany of misspelled answers to boring comprehension questions, not an administrative report to be sent home from the office explaining the definition of verbal assault and the reasoning behind a three-day suspension. No, this blessed hour belongs to him alone and his literary desires. And if not for those pages... His body may just be a carpet for the tires to dry themselves on this rainy Tuesday morning. What is that? I think it's OFSA. There are a lot of athletic-looking people that aren't from our school around. Annoying. Would you grab the door for me? Well, this is a new subject for you. Yeah. It's interesting. What is You're writing from a male perspective. In third person. You've also written your female character in third person. I guess so. Your female character is so... um, realized, you know? I guess what I'm saying is, even though you've written her in third person, the feelings are still intimate. Are these feelings not intimate? No, but there's like a little plastic wall. What do you mean? The wall's thin, so I think you're close. You just... Have to keep digging around and see what happens. Right. 
It's good work, Laura. Thanks. I look forward to seeing where it goes. Can I ask you something? Of course. Are you, like, seeing Mrs. Sylvester or something? (laughs) What? Are you dating her? Miss Sylvester? The librarian with the oversized glasses and adult braces. Are you dating her? Am I dating her? You can just say if you are. What would make you think that? I don't know. That That's a strange question to ask me. She was giggly in the library today, and a few girls noticed and asked her why she was so happy, which, to be honest, is not her default place. And she mentioned... She motioned to the flowers that were on her desk, and the girls started basically hyperventilating and asked if they were from her boyfriend. And she blushed, and then they asked if her boyfriend was a teacher here, and she blushed again, and then they asked if her boyfriend was like a young teacher here who was single and taught in the West Wing, maybe in the English department, since she is a librarian after all, and she just kept blushing and giggling. There are a lot of teachers in the English department. And also, I saw you at the library with your homeroom class last week, and you guys looked like you were flirting, sort of. Um, Miss Sylvester and I? Is it you that sent her the flowers? Laura. Just because you never mentioned that you were dating her or anyone. Well, we've never really spoken about anything like that. Um, Relationships, you and I, but... I wouldn't care if you were dating her. If you were the one who sent her the flowers to thank her for a special evening or something. Laura, I'm not dating Miss Sylvester. It's just, it would be so weird if you just withheld that information. I did not send Miss Sylvester flowers. Yeah. I didn't think you were dating anyway. I just thought I'd ask. Laura... I'm not seeing Miss Sylvester because I'm married. I didn't send her flowers because I'm a married man. I have a wife. Be sure to tune in next week for episode two of Low or Dear Mr. Wells. This piece was by Rose Napoli and featured Vivian Endicott Douglas and David Jensen. The original workshop production was directed by Andrea Donaldson. Visit playmepodcast.com to learn more about our podcast, to leave a comment, or to let us know what you think of our shows. Play Me is produced by Laura Mullen and Chris Tolley, and this episode was edited by Chris Tolley. The associate producer is Rashanik Jaberi. Play Me is funded by the Toronto Arts Council, the Ontario Arts Council, and the Ontario Trillium Foundation. Special thanks to our partners, the Playwrights Guild of Canada, the Toronto Fringe Festival, and the Spiderweb Show. If you're interested in other dramatic podcasts, be sure to check out How to Build a Fire by Kat Sandler. Play Me is an Expect Theatre production. For more information, visit playmepodcast.com. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.